Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. When you're spending thousands of dollars to go on a trip of a lifetime, and for a lot of people, like this is a one-time thing. This is a bucket list experience, right? You don't necessarily want to spend your money and just roll the dice. That was Scott Brills, today's guest, and I couldn't agree more. You don't want to roll the dice when you're planning an expensive experience like an African safari, and that's why I wanted to bring Scott on. He's a true expert, a longtime nomad, and co-founder of Pomoja Safaris. He's going to discuss all the details surrounding how to plan an African safari. So whether you've been on safari before or perhaps only have dreamt of going on safari, you're not going to want to miss this episode. Scott provides insider advice on what to expect when booking a safari, when and where to go, the key elements of having a great safari experience, and so much more. We also get into his journey, how he turned his side hustle into a full-time business, how he managed to build his life around travel, tips for embracing a lifestyle that deviates from the norm, the magical moment that Scott entered into a business partnership with his safari company, and why it's important to seize the moment when you find your calling and plenty more. Of course, you're going to get a full breakdown of the best destinations in Africa to have a -a one-of-a-kind wildlife and cultural experience. Stay tuned for all of that. Plus, I'll share my bonus Big Five experience. An easy way to go on safari, but one of the best animal experiences I've ever had, even though it was short. You'll hear that in this show. And of course, a shout out to a listener who's kickstarting a life of travel, providing some inspiration for me and for everybody listening out there. Share that story as well. And a lot more happening right now in this episode. You're here. Let's do it. Buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now, your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. I've never been on an African safari, and that's why this is a show that was a long time coming for me to record, because I wanted to learn more about those destinations, kind of get my head around, how would you start diving into planning an experience like this, of this magnitude, getting the most out of it, 
for not only the money you spent, but for the investment in the time of the experience of going on a safari in Africa. And I could think of no better person to bring on than my friend Scott Brills, because he's one of those guys that isn't just afraid to share everything (laughs) about what he's doing. Of course, he has a company that runs safaris in Africa and takes people on these incredible experiences, but he's not afraid to just kind of what did they say? Open the kimono or uh, drop the veil, whatever terminology you want to use. And just let us in and share how they plan things, how he sees things, and what that might mean to the independent traveler, whether you're going with his company or not. Uh, the goal of the episode is to just give you a lot of value around the African safari experience to help you plan your first or next one. And of course, as we always do here on the Zero Travel Podcast, we dig into the story behind Scott's journey and how he ended up running a a safari company and some of the other things he's done along the way, his experience being an early nomad in the 2000s, the early 2000s, how he has actually grown this business on referrals alone without spending any money on marketing and uh, just a whole bunch of other stuff that's sort of related to to the main theme of this show. And stick around on the back end. I am going to share a little bit about one of my favorite bonus big five, I call it, animal experiences. Wasn't on safari, but this is like a little, maybe it's a little hack. Uh, I'm sure one that you're familiar with, uh, but a way to get the safari experience without going too far. And of course, we'll leave you with a quote on the back end. We're going to dive into the interview in a moment. I do want to give a quick shout out to Christopher, somebody in this listening community. Hey, Chris. He wrote me an email uh, from Toronto, Canada, said, hey, Jason, hope all's well. Just want to thank you for inspiring me to take five weeks off work and travel Europe with my girlfriend. I know if not for the show and its inspiring guests that I wouldn't have made the leap and done what I needed. Can't help but think this could be the start of a life filled with more travel. Thanks again, and keep up inspiring us all to get more travel in our lives. Chris from Toronto. Thank you, Chris, very much for the kind words. More importantly, uh, congratulations. You know, this is how it can start for a lot of us. You see what he said there? He's just taking five weeks off work to travel Europe with his girlfriend. A simple choice. He got the time. He took it, and it didn't. he didn't have to quit his job or, like, sell everything he owned and, you know, lives in his car to save his money or whatever. You know, everybody has their own different circumstances for kickstarting a life filled with more travel or just adding more travel into your life this year. And everybody has their own version of what a small step might be. In Chris's case, it was being able to take off work for five weeks. Maybe some of us can only do that for a week or for a road trip weekend or whatever. But it's that intentionality behind just adding more travel into our lives and then making a choice to get out and do it. Again, it doesn't mean you have to do some of the big things uh, that you hear on this show. I just wanted to remind everybody of that. And I think this ties in nicely with Scott's story because you can hear this was a journey uh, for him. And this life he built for himself based around his love of travel grew over time. And when he started out, he didn't know he was going to be running safaris in Africa, but that's how these things go. When you start building a life around travel or something else you love, you never know where it's going to take you. And I think uh, Scott's story is a good uh, illustration of how things can go or how they went for him. And of course, 
we can all learn from each other's experiences. Uh, so I hope you enjoy hearing Scott's experience. Stick around on the back end again. I'll share a little bit about one of my favorite animal experiences, animal encounters that I had recently, and leave you with a nice quote to send you off on your way. So I'll see you on the other side. Thanks for listening. My guest today lives his life at the intersection of three things he loves, entrepreneurship, travel, and philanthropy. And I think his life and work demonstrates that, as you'll hear today. His company, Pomoja Safaris, takes guests on African wildlife safaris in Tanzania. His charity projects have included driving an old car from London to Mongolia to raise money to build a kindergarten, spending months heading from the UK to South Africa in a pair of cars dressed up like sneakers to raise money for schools and orphanages and spending weeks at a time piloting an auto rickshaw, a total of 11,000 miles through India while raising money to support a variety of causes throughout the country. I'm going to link to his various companies here, but you can learn more at scottbrills.com and pomojasafaris.com. Scott, I've been waiting for a long time to say this. Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. Appreciate being here. I know it's uh, we've known each other for for a while, uh, less time IRL, but uh, yeah, happy to happy to be on and uh, to be able to do this. Even though I'm I'm here in Oxford, you're in uh, in Norway. We're we're pretty close. We're we're, we're closer than usual. <laughs> yeah, Oxford, England is yep, where you Oxford, are. England. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's a shame we weren't able to do this in person. But I think every time, so we, I, I think I first met you in Austin, Texas. We hung out there and we had tacos and, mm -hmm. and that was some years ago. I think that was yeah, like 20, whew, 2016, maybe 17, something like that. Yeah. And then we did the camp thing. And then we were just recently both in Portland, Oregon for a conference. And I guess, I guess we could have done that here, but like, I don't know. You're at a conference. There's like all kinds there is, of things going there on. There was a lot going on. There's yes. a ton going on. There wasn't a lot of downtime uh, for that. And it's definitely one of those things where like, you're like, yeah, I'll, I'll schedule it. We'll put it on the calendar, but stuff might come up. And uh, I'm sure it would have. <laughs> yeah. And now you're on vacation with your dad and I'm totally stealing your time. <laughs> I needed to steal your time for, for the listeners. And, and you're generous, generous enough to give it because I think going on safari in Africa is on most people's travel wish list. And some Seems of you be. that are listening, maybe you've already done it, but today you're going to talk about how we can plan an unforgettable safari experience without going broke and some of the benefits of going on safari and things like that. I have a lot of questions around that. Hopefully people that have already been on safari, they're going to get some value out of this interview in different ways. So first of all, congratulations on 10 years with the company. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We're on, we're on year going on year 11 now. Um, so we, we formed in 20, I guess, late 2010, early 2011. Didn't have our first guest, uh, you know, pay us money until 2012. So, so yeah, yeah I'd say I'd say 10 years right now and, and heading into 11. Yeah. I mean, how does that feel? That's quite a milestone. Uh, time has flown by. You know, it was kind of a side project for the first few years. I thought it would just be a a good conversation starter to say <laughs> the safari company in Africa, and which it is. Uh but, um, you know, a few years in, decided to kind of make it more of a priority um, and get out of what I was already doing and, and make that more of a, a thing. And uh, it was the right choice. Yeah. And then from there, I've, I've kind of used it as a springboard to other traveling tourism type uh, adventures. Well, I mean, 
this is one thing I want to talk about. You've built your life around travel, which is a big theme in this podcast here. And just from a bit of the research I've done about you, it, it seems that a lot of this, well, I'll read a quote from your website. You said, things really started to change when I was accepted into a year-long work-study program in Japan right out of high school. I proceeded to spend my first year of university overseas learning Japanese and living for the first time on my own, thousands of miles away from home, and loved every minute of it. <laughs> so talk about that that experience in your life. Uh, it seems to me that that was sort of the gateway to your life of travel in many ways. Oh yeah. Uh, that along with uh, a trip I did in 20, not 2013, <laughs> 19, uh, let's see. Well, I was, I was 13 years old. So, uh, a while before that, uh, I went as a student ambassador to China for three weeks, traveled all around China with, uh, with a few chaperones and a bunch of other kids my age and really loved it. And then after that, like that kind of started it, but then like when you're 13, you don't really have a lot of, um, ability to just go off and, and travel or do your own thing. Of course, you got to finish school or you don't have to, but you should finish schooling and, uh, you know, get some money and get a job and, and stuff like that. So, um, it, I was lucky enough to then really the first chance I got, which was freshman year in, in university, I was able to go over to Japan on a work study program that was recommended to me to, by my, uh, Japanese teacher in high school. Again, luckily enough to have a, a Japanese program in my high school, which isn't necessarily the norm in a lot of the U.S. or schools anywhere. And uh, so she recommended me. I was the only senior in a class full of basically freshmen because it was Japanese one. And I tried two years of Spanish, didn't really click with me, wasn't super interested in learning it. I was learning it because you have to take two years of language, uh, at least in my, my district. And so I did it because I thought it was the easiest. But then I found out that if you really want to learn it, then it's, it's a lot easier, you know, instead of being forced to learn it. So, um, yeah, I went over to Japan for nine months. Before that, I took three months of uh, classes kind of leading into it. Um, this is through uh, Michigan State University, Lansing Community College, which is right in the center of Michigan uh, in the U.S. And they've been doing the program for 20 years already, since 1982. And basically, they send a group of about 16 students over there. Most of them are older than me. I was 18 when I went over there. Most of the other people were 21, 22, right at the end of their college, university days. Uh, so I was the second youngest just by a few months. And we went over there and we worked as waiters on a replica Mississippi uh, steam wheeler ship in the largest lake in, Mich or in Japan called uh, Shiga or I'm sorry, um, Biwako in Shiga Prefecture, which is sister states or sister prefecture states. Prefecture is kind of their word for a state in Japan. Uh, so we were sister states more or less uh, with Michigan, which is where I'm from. So they've been doing this for years and years, sending students over there. And then um, students from Japan would come over to the U.S. It was kind of this partnership. And uh, yeah, we we worked uh, three or four days a week. We went to school, you know, generally three days a week uh, in the same building that we were living. It was like a five-minute walk to our the dock where the, the boat was. And um, we, even though all of us complained a lot about any number of things, I can guarantee that like now if you go back to any of the people I studied with there for nine months, they're like, oh, yeah, those are the glory days. That was so good. We didn't have to worry about anything. All of our rent was paid for. You know, a lot of our meals were taken care of. Um, transport around the country, cultural visits and stuff like that. Um, and we also got a stipend. So like we would work and, you know, granted, it probably wasn't a ton of money. Um, I remember it being something like 
$1,200 US a month. But that $1,200 US a month went into groceries, eating out and drinking, basically. And then like, you know, every so often, you'd have a day or two every week to hang around Japan. And I, I threw myself into it. I went out and I made like pen pals before I went there. And I did everything I could with every minute of my time. Like I, I was not sitting around uh, doing nothing much of the time. So yeah, it completely changed my life, uh, changed my, I was like pretty, um, pretty introverted, like a lot of books and video games before that. And then I realized that there's real life out there and I decided to embrace it with both arms. Um, and yeah, even my palate changed. I was like a very picky eater, uh, you know, growing up on, on traditional like Midwestern white food, like casseroles, chicken nuggets, French fries and stuff like that. Um, you know, and I, it was like to the point where pepperoni and pizza was too spicy for me, like spicy. Uh, and then I went over there and like one funny thing is that, you know, like a funny experience is I, I had kimchi jjigae for the first time, which is Korean food at a Korean restaurant in Japan operated by some uh, Korean people that live there. And and I was like, wow, this burns, but it tastes so good. And I just like kept eating it. And I have to like wait a few minutes between bites because I was so unused to anything spicy. Um, and then like I came back and I was eating like mushrooms and peppers and onions and spicy food and kimchi. And my mom's like, what have you done with my son? Like you're completely different. Um, so yeah, super transformative. And, and after that, I was like, wow, like even though I knew I had to uh, graduate university or I wanted to, uh, definitely my parents expected that of me. Um, I was like, okay, I want to do this as quick as possible. And then like continue, like, either go back to Japan, which was the plan for a long time and teach English like a lot of my friends ended up doing, um, or just something that wouldn't involve necessarily sitting in an office from nine to five, which was kind of my plan before that, doing, uh, wanted to get like video game design or 3D art and animation, something like that. I was very, very much into computers, um, into art, into video games. And so I kind of wanted to like do something like that until I went to Japan and then, yeah, everything was changed. It's sort of the default setting for our generation coming up then, right? If you're from the suburbs and you're growing up, it's like you're supposed to get an office job. Like it's almost like you need to just do something totally radical to shake it up to see that there's other ways to live if you're not exposed to that in some way growing up, I feel. What did the China trip do to your 13-year-old brain? <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt like um, I was just telling a few people on on this trip I'm currently on. I'm on a, on a holiday, like a group adventure with my dad not leading it it's a, it's another company um mainly for uh, older retirees american retirees to go on like small group trips around the world and uh there's some people were asking me uh about like how i got into travel and stuff i mentioned that and i said yeah i felt like i was decently mature for a 13 year old um yeah i remember like other kids at certain points like having like food fights and stuff in the restaurants we were in and just feeling like embarrassed to be there um but I went over there and I had, uh, I was like a sponge. Like before I went, I threw myself into this like studying nonstop, watching like every movie about China, reading everything about China, buying all the books, going to the library about it. Like I was super into just prepping for it. So like by the time I got over there, like I kind of knew at least a backstory about, you know, about everything that we went to see or do. Um, but yeah, going over there, I just I had such a great time seeing the things you know in real life that I had learned about, um, meeting the people who were super friendly, um, and having that first like time away from home for an extended period, uh, which which was really, uh, really just like a very interesting experience when you're with a, a group of I think it was like twenty twenty five. 
13 year olds, uh, maybe one or two from my school and the rest is from other places around the, the area. It's called People to People Student Ambassador Program. I think it still operates today. Um, it was started way back many decades ago. And uh, it's been kind of a driving force between people to people kind of experiences, uh, pulling countries together through their youth and uh, sending people on, on adventures like that, you know, just all around the world. My sister went to uh, one by the same organization in Australia a few years later, and she had a really good time as well. Yeah. I, I, I just love hearing the backstory because, you know, it's one thing to, I mean, you could go on a trip and, and it just depends on the person, right? You could go on a trip like that and say, well, that, that was just such an incredible experience and, you know, kind of take it for what it is. And then, you know, for some people, and it sounds like that was the case for you, it's just kind of like, I, you know, this travel thing is so incredible. I want this to be my life in, in mm-hmm. many ways, you know? Yeah. And no way did I think it would be, you know, <laughs> all the way to this point, I'm still traveling a lot and, and I made it my career. Um, no way. You know, I, I remember being like 20, you know, just uh, still finishing up university and after Japan and um, thinking like, you know, I'm going to, I think I'm going to get in, you know, do web development on the side, which is what I was doing. I had my own company at that point. And uh, that was with your brother, off, right? Uh, that was later on. So I did my first company on my own. And then I partnered with my brother uh, later on for a few years. Uh, that company still operates, but I just, I just do projects for friends. But yeah, like I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to do this for like five years and 25. I'm you know, probably like settle down, get a job, like a, a real job, quote unquote. And then um, I remember like then turning 25 and I'm like, you know, I think I can still like five years in me. And I'll do this to like 30, you know, and like just keep pushing back until I realized like it was silly setting arbitrary like stop times to things, you know, like you just kind of go with the flow. And if it no longer serves you, then uh, then you change it up a bit. I feel like I had a bit of that internal battle as well because I had some outside feedback when I was nomadic, kind of like, when are you going to settle down and this sort of oh, thing? Oh, God, all the time. When are you going to settle down? Especially like, <laughs> you know, on a trip like this with a bunch of retirees, do it, you know, do it while you're young, yeah. you know, and like, right. when are you going to settle down? Or, you know, one of the two or maybe both, you know, all the time. <laughs> well, I like the term you used, arbitrary stop times, because that is, I guess we could say they're arbitrary, but also maybe some of them are culturally influenced or influenced from society, right? It's like, or like just from our peer group. I remember there were times during that same period of my life when I was traveling all the time and, and just kind of like, you know, like your peer group kind of moves in in waves. Like you could say like using the 80-20 rule, like 80% of them might get married between like 25 and 30. 80% of them might have kids between 30 and 30. So like, you know, if, if a, a whole group of your friends is living, what would you say, more conventionally, and you're not, it sometimes makes you question if you're on the right path. At least it definitely. Different. Oh yeah. For, for years. Like, uh, while I was in, in university still and I was working my way uh, through it and I still had my company, so I was doing that as well. Uh, so, you know, definitely pretty busy trying to graduate super quick and go to Japan. You know, I was thinking during that time and then even a few years later, like, am I on the right path? And I remember asking a guy I met in Japan, a, a Polish guy uh, named Marius, and uh, he was doing uh, something similar, like a freelance coder for for companies and he was traveling around the world. And um, this was 2000 for uh and staying in touch with him after we met him in in japan and partied a little bit together and he's he's definitely 
20 plus years older than me. So I'm like, okay, this guy's got some experience. He seems like a pretty fun, go lucky, happy guy. And, and I remember like meeting with him and talking and then setting up another date to like kind of grab beers with him and talk and just to kind of get some feedback from someone that was doing it. Cause I knew nobody, like almost nobody the first 10 years that was doing anything like I was doing. Um, they, you know, my friends would nickname me the spy or, you know, like, they're like, how do you travel all around and, and do this and that? And like, we're talking like pre 2010, um, you know, are you sell, are they like smuggling, smuggling drugs or arms, uh, you know, and weapons, like God of war style, like, you know, like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, yeah, I just like make websites and stuff. And they're like, mm, okay, there, yeah, this is before okay, digital nomad was mainstream. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, you know, I was doing it, um, you know, before like four hour work week and stuff and, um, back before, like there was uh, broadband. Um, I mean, it was still pretty spotty when I started in like 2002, but, uh, you know, Skype was not yet a thing when I was starting and, um, online payments and yeah. So like it was, uh, the tools weren't really there. The community definitely wasn't there. Um, maybe it was, but it was super fragmented. So you, there wasn't, wasn't many people and there wasn't really any forum that I knew of to connect with people. And so it was, uh, isolating, and I had to keep like checking in, you know, with this guy and, and still like with myself being like, am I doing this right? And I was still thinking, you know, after a few years when I'm own company, all right, like eventually I'm going to use this and I'm going to send and get a job at a company. Um, but eventually it, it, after a few years, it got to the point where I was making enough money. And I thought, well, do I really want to do that? And I just decided not to. Um, but it was, it was like not a clear cut decision. I, it was, uh, you know, a lot of people that know me today, like, they, wow, you started your business at 19 and you just like continued with it. But it hasn't just like always been like, oh, yeah, I'm totally sure of what I'm doing and where I'm going. And I'm going to like continue on this path. Like some people are like that. And I give them like I'm, I'm a little bit envious. I give them a lot of credit. Um, you know, I think it's just like a, a personality type. But for me, I was like, all right, we're, I'm going to try this out. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty tolerant of risk and we'll see what happens. But I'm not afraid to pivot and change course if necessary. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all that. I, I think this is good for people listening. Anybody who's, you know, on the fence with maybe making a transition to a more, say, nomadic or remote work type lifestyle, like maybe you're working remotely, but you haven't used it to your advantage to incorporate the travel aspect. I mean, Scott was doing this with, you know, not many tools, not good internet, no community, and look at everything that we have at our disposal now. I mean, it's it's easier than ever than it ever has been in in history to live this kind of lifestyle. So yeah, you youngins don't know what we went through. <laughs> Walked uphill to school in both ways in snow. <laughs> but no, but I mean, on the other side, it's also like I think there are still paths like that that you described where maybe there isn't much of a community or, or you don't feel like there is, or the tools are a little hard. I'm sure there are people listening right now that are on some kind of path that is the current version of the, you know, early aughts to 2010 version of what you did. And just know that you're probably not doing it alone. Like I was like you, I always thought that when I was living the nomadic lifestyle around the same time, when we did it basically around the same time, like late nineties to, I mean, I think you're still pretty nomadic. I'm not sure if you have a base now, but no, no, I, I still uh, have, have uh, pretty much never had a fixed address. Like I've got my voting slash mail address. That's my my dad's house in uh, Metro Detroit, Michigan. But uh, besides that, uh, really, have never ever had a place of my own ever. Like I've never had a lease. I've never bought a place. Um, nope. <laughs> yeah, I had a hard time 
getting that stuff later on. I was like, this is gonna, this is gonna like tie me down. But it, I still it, feel that way. <laughs> also, it's just not a good use of my of my uh, time, mental overhead, and, and money based yeah. on my life right now. Like, I wouldn't say right. I would never do that. Um, but right now, it's like, okay, like, would I get a spot? And then, um, you know, when I'm not at home, you know, pre-COVID, I was traveling nine months a year on average. And what do I do with that time? Just have it sit there and I pay, you know, to, to travel and live places while I also pay a mortgage. And, you know, yeah, you could rent it out. But like, do I really want to have a bunch of Airbnb people coming in? I know a lot of people that do property management, our friend Trav and, and whatnot. And like, you know, they... Um, there's definitely a certain amount of mental overhead you have. Like even when you have a, a company managing it, which obviously takes a, a nice chunk of your profits. I just know people that have done it and they're just like, man, there's just always something like, you know, you're woken up at three in the morning, the water main broke and, you know, like, uh, I, I just don't want to deal yeah. with it. This is not my jam. <laughs> I totally understand, man. We'll be back in a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now let's get back to the show. Well, I think there's a moment, uh, maybe, and maybe it's not a moment, maybe it's, a, I guess I should say, a process when you question, uh, you can question a lot of the way you're living when it's diff way different from everybody around you, right? And and then at some point you transcend that, 
right? Where you just you you embrace that this is the lifestyle you choose, and and then I, I feel like you don't question it as much. You just own your decision and DGAF, enjoy. DGAF, don't give up. Beep. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's an important place to get to. I think I, I in some ways thinking back to like those nomadic days, I, I feel like I was there sometimes, and other times it was a lot of questions because it was so unconventional, but I would, I think it's better to get there as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's going to be different for every, every single person. Yeah. At, th- at this point, having met, uh, you know, literally met and talked to literally hundreds, if not over a thousand people, you know, doing their own journey through working remotely or being a digital nomad or, or, you know, anything along those lines. Um, everyone's story is so different. Everyone has, their own challenges and yeah, you know, growing up in a different culture or, um, or not having your parents approval or support or, you know, there's, there's so many things that can impact it and everyone's got their own story and you just gotta, you know, it just depends on like what's most important to you. Right. Are you, are you willing to buck the trend and, and do something different or, uh, you know, to, to go for your own happiness or to try, um, you know, to, to experiment and, and see if it works for you, you know, everyone's everyone's so different I've, I've met people that have tried it for a few years and start up their own company and everything and then they're like you know what this isn't really for me i'm gonna go get a a job at a company you know there, there was definitely a, a point in time when i kind of looked down upon those people i'm like why are you quitting so early come on like you could do it um but i just i've, I've definitely seen that it's not for everyone but i give them a lot of props now like when i think back i'm like you know it wasn't necessarily built in and i feel like it's kind of built into me to this this urge to create and run businesses and to travel uh, around the world. Like it's, even though they're two separate things, I feel like both of them are, uh, kind of always been a part of me, even when I was a kid, uh, you know, starting up like business plans on paper when I was like nine years old and just, it's weird. Like, you know, I was definitely a, a little bit of a weird kid, but, um, I always wanted to create and I always wanted to travel. Grandparents were travelers. They'd always like bring back like money and photos and stuff and tell us stories about traveling to the USSR or China in the 1980s. Like they're pretty prolific travelers after, uh, retirement. And so, uh, yeah, like it was just kind of in my blood. Uh, but I know a lot of people where it wasn't necessarily in their blood and they're just like, I'm going to give it a shot. And, um, yo, like props, if you give it a shot and it doesn't work out and you're like, you just admit it and you're, and you're like, I'm going to try something different. Totally. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's key. Giving it a shot and maybe curating the right feelings or perspectives or ideas, right? If you're take if you're, if you're letting the pressures of family or society or what friends think or whatever influence your decision, uh, whatever path you're on, then I mean, I think it's just good to parse that stuff out. Like we said, right. Like kind of like protect your little bubble and, and do the thing you want to do and try it out. Yeah. And, and not, and not to even like, uh, to like disregard those huge, huge roadblocks. Uh, because like, I know people that, you know, like it's, it's a lot tougher for them than me. Like I'm lucky. My parents are like, do what makes you happy. And they just support whatever I do. Yeah. There was like a bit of, Hey, like I cut out some job openings from the newspaper for you. <laughs> like, you know, the first few years are like, you know, so like, when are you going to get a job like that kind of thing? But you know, for the first few years, extreme. yeah, but it wasn't extreme. Um, you know, they're, they're happy with where I'm at and everything. I haven't really had any pressure to go a different way. Whereas I know people that like, you know, their parents are like, go to school, go to graduate school, become a doctor, lawyer, engineer, especially like, like a lot of my friends from Asian families. Um, 
or yeah, like just like there's a there's a lot of that. There's like society isn't set up yet for for that kind of like path or to encourage that path. We're getting there. Like there's a lot more community now. There's a lot more resources. It's becoming a lot easier. Uh, but there's still like people. Um, many people face like a lot more challenges than I did uh, getting into it. And so like, you know, extra props to those people. Absolutely. But I think that's where the value of sharing these types of stories here on a podcast like this, that's where it comes in, right? I mean, you can, even though everybody's situation is different, it's still nice to hear that there are people out there that are kind of going against the normal thing and finding their own way to do it. And I mean, you've certainly found a unique way to incorporate travel into your life over the years with the web development stuff and then going full on with running trips and everything like that, which I want to get into a bit now. I'm curious why it seems like there was a heavy focus for you on Asia and then you ended up running trips in Africa. I'm just wondering about the influence of like Eastern culture on on you as an individual and I guess I'm surprised that you didn't start running trips in Japan because you had such this, this connection with it. But I did. <laughs> oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to hear how that kind of evolved for you. Uh, so like the, the safari thing uh, was totally like happenstance. I went on a safari with my father in 2010. It was on his bucket list. We actually went with the same company that we're here right now with in, in the UK. And so uh, we went there. I, I, of course, love animals. I've always loved animals. It's like one of the things from the get-go, like when I was born, I always loved animals. Had always had like a bunch of like aquariums and stuff and I'd go out and catch frogs and turtles and snakes. And yeah. Um, and so I went over there, had a great time. We had three guides for a group of 16 people. And I befriended one of our guides who is not actually the trip leader. He's one of the assistant guides. And he obviously like was better than the other two people, like just like cut and dry, like above them as far as, uh, you know, in a, in a few ways, knowledge of animals, humor. Um, he's very pers- uh, personable. Uh, and everyone kind of like went for his land cruiser every morning. I remember getting in his, into his car so many times. There's like six people per land cruiser, let's say. And I remember getting in it and thinking like, oh, I should probably give other people a chance because I'm, I'm like the quickest one because I'm the young one and everyone else is like retirees. Um, <laughs> and thinking like, oh, I should probably like give other people a chance. And, and so I, I'm like running to the car, <laughs> and eating would, his dust. <laughs> I, would try, I would try not to make it that obvious, but oh, like something suckers! like that. <laughs> Dibs, <laughs> shotgun. Uh, but like, yeah, so I, I became friends with them. And after that trip ended, I stayed on for another couple of weeks in Tanzania. Uh, to visit Zanzibar on my own and then to climb Kilimanjaro uh, where a friend from the UK was going to fly down and climb it with me. And um, I got his contact info, the, the guide, Josh, I got his contact info and he kind of helped me out with some of the logistics and, you know, getting the bus from here to there and whatnot. And um, I would, you know, I just had him uh, available for texting. And after the trip was totally finished, so I went uh, up and down Kili and, uh, that last day, he took me and my friend to his home and met his wife and two kids at that time. Now he's got three. And I said to him, have you ever thought about doing your own thing? You're obviously like really good at what you do. Um, and here's a proposal. And this is all, it, it kind of happened like this. But yeah, this is basically it summed up. Here's a proposal. Uh, I know how to set up and manage businesses remotely. You know everything on the ground here. I also know your target market, Americans. And 
So what do you say we join forces? And I was initially thinking, I'll just send business your way and I'll just take a cut of it like a commission. And it ended up being like a bit more work than that. And so in the end, um, we actually formed a 50-50 partnership uh, where he would take care of everything on the ground. He would, he would make the reservations and take care of everything on the ground and use his connections and everything. And uh, I would manage the business, everything basically besides that. I said, you know, if it doesn't work out, no harm, no foul. It'll basically just be my uh, time and effort to set it up in the beginning. So we did that starting 2011, came up with the name Pomoja Travel or Pomoja Safaris, which means um, it actually means the same thing. So funny enough, so the, the LLC we have in the U.S. is called Pomoja Travel with a doing business as is Pomoja Safaris. But it actually means the same thing. So um, safari means travel or journey um, and Pomoja means together. So it's travel together. So whether you say Pomoja Travel or Pomoja Safari, Safaris means travel together. And um, so it, it ended up working very slowly. Uh, I was still doing a lot of web development and stuff um, and didn't really have the money or resources to uh, go out there and put money into like advertising, marketing, paid ads and stuff like that. So uh, it was a very slow start, but eventually we started reaching some momentum, um, put a little bit more effort in the website and some marketing videos and stuff like that. And um, still today, it's mostly uh, referral based. Uh, people have a great time. Everyone has a great time and they recommend it to their friends and family. And uh, we've grown primarily through that. We really, even 10 years in, which is, I think, a rarity, we have not spent a single penny on commission, either to a travel agent or a um, a company or like a third-party website, like uh, Get Your Guide or something like that. Um, and we have not spent a single penny on advertising or marketing. Not a single thing. Um, now is that necessarily the best way to get your business started? No. Um, if you've got the money, like definitely you can speed things up by, uh, you know, putting some money into, you know, into backing your company, but we just didn't have it at the time. So we just did things the organic way and eventually it worked out. And here we are over 10 years later, um, you know, providing custom private safari trips for, uh, small groups, you know, no set date departures or anything. Um, everything's custom. So whether it's a single traveler, um, or it's a, a couple or a family or an enthusiast group or a business get together or something like that. Uh, we, we do that. So he was used to doing my, my guide, uh, my business partner, Josh, he was used to doing set group departures, 16 people generally every time uh, for this one company. And, um, you know, it's a little bit more work to do it the way we're doing, but we found a lot of people want that, that private experience. And because we have a low overhead, um, uh, we are able to offer that at about the same price as joining a group of 16. Now, some people want to join a group of 16, especially if you're like a solo traveler, you may not want to go there by yourself. Our guides are fun and they're very personable and, you know, they'll, they'll be fun to hang out with guaranteed, but it's not everyone's jam. You know, so I still tell people, sometimes they'll come to us and be like, Oh, you know, when's your next group going out? I'm a single traveler. And I'm like, well, I've got some recommendations of places you could go to, but, uh, we only do like private groups. So we're like, you know, tell us. Uh, when you want to come, number of days, number of people, we will create the perfect itinerary for you. You know, if you have anything in particular you want to see or do, let us know. We'll build that in um, and we'll give it to you at a great price. Mm. Cool. I love hearing the history of that and how you and Josh met and kind of just sort of randomly worked that out, right? Yeah, I, I was never I was never planning on getting into travel or tourism. I was never planning on having a safari company. Like I said, like earlier, 
I was thinking it would be kind of it'd be a nice side hustle. I'd get some extra money out of it. Wouldn't be too difficult. Um, it'd be a funny conversation starter. Um, you know, something like that uh, ended up being like full time job for sure. Uh, but like, you know, it all goes to just random meeting. I met the right person and I created a business out of that. Like without Josh, um, I wouldn't have the company. And um, he's been an awesome partner, uh, you know, all around, no complaints there. I was super lucky to find him, you know, and, and he was the number one rated guide in the whole country for this company he worked for before, um, you know, quarter over quarter over quarter, uh, he was number one. And, you know, it's it's very common to have guests come with us and in their trip review form that they send me after the trip, uh, they rave just as much about Josh as the animals. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So, I mean, and, and we have other other guides too nowadays. Um, but we make sure like the number one thing we do find awesome talent, like the top ten percent of the talent that has you know ten plus years of experience, and then um, treat them well, pay them well, and um, you know keep them with you because like that's really what it's all about is having like the most important thing by far. Um, you know whether it's a safari or any other kind of guided trip uh, where you're spending a lot of time with your guide is that guide. You know if they're if they're cool and fun and it's your trip's going to be fun, no matter what, even if you like, don't see a bunch of animals, which is not even a thing in Tanzania, you're always going to see a ton of animals. But like, if you don't have a guide that, um, you know, is personable, speaks English where you don't have to like struggle to understand them, um, knows the animals, uh, stuff like that. It's just going to take away from your trip. I think people underestimate that. They, they think, um, you know, everything's kind of the same and, oh, if I can save a thousand dollars, whatever, I'll just go with this other company. But it's a very lucrative business to be in, in Tanzania and, and many places in Africa. So a lot of people are going into it. And so you've got a ton of people that are safari guides. It's their first year or it's their second year or third year. And like, not to knock that everyone has to start somewhere. But when you're spending thousands of dollars to go on a trip of a lifetime and for a lot of people, like this is a one-time thing. This is a bucket list experience, right? Um, you don't necessarily want to spend your money and just roll the dice. <laughs> so we, you know, we take that very seriously as far as like, you know, this is uh, for many people, one-time thing. They're spending a lot of money. They're spending a lot of their vacation time. We want to make sure it's awesome. And not to mention, like, obviously, if it's awesome, we get referrals and we get more business. But, uh, you know, it's it's a very important thing. A lot of our guests are Americans and they have like two weeks of vacation a year. And this is, you know, half or most of their vacation time, mm. um, you know, and so I, I take that very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think uh, just on the business side, one thing uh, I just wanted to pull out is the fact that you had this idea, you met this individual, and then you kind of seized the moment. Right. I think that sometimes these ideas come and, and we meet a certain person. And in that case, if you're partnering up with somebody or whatever the case is. And I mean, you could have kind of traveled around, stayed in touch, maybe had that dinner, gone back, thought about it a little more, you know, spent a couple of years, whatever. But you you had the meeting and, and you said, hey, let's just jump into this and, and see and kind of test the waters here. And I think that was obviously great idea <laughs> it's right it's place going, right time. But, you know even if it didn't work out i think the lesson it's a good lesson to kind of like hey if you want to get into different businesses and different types of opportunities sometimes you have to just do that right you have to just dive in and kind of figure out a way where you can just get it going right away and see if it's going to work 
because you can wait forever and, and not ever do anything with it. And then the moment's gone or person's moved on to something else or whatever the case. Yeah. Hands up for serendipity. Yeah, <laughs> Just, for sure. Yeah. I mean, had I not gone on that trip? Are or, you a guy yeah. that believes in serendipity and, and that sort of I mean, I don't know, I, I, uh, whatever you call it, chance, um, the universe, you know, what, I, I'm sure there's, there's a lot of uh, words for what basically boils down to the same thing. I can't really say I'm, I'm much of a uh, spiritual or kind of woo-woo type of guy, but, um, you know, even if you just call it chance, like uh, probability, then like, yeah, it's uh, luck, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> A big part of this show is even uh, now I, I know you just described everything you do and obviously there's tons of value there, but I did want to get your advice for anybody that's DIYing this type of thing as an independent traveler. First, I just wanted to ask you, how, how might going on a safari make you live your life differently? So I think, I don't know if, if necessarily it would be something that would change your life in that way we've had a lot of people that i know i guess i've got a ton of uh, digital nomad friends traveled for years have been doing this for a decade plus have traveled to 100 countries let's say um and i've had quite a few of them say like this is the best vacation experience of their life which is pretty humbling (laughs) it's pretty cool um and I think it's it's uh, like I was saying it's it's kind of a bucket list experience for for people uh, where you know you don't really feel complete until you do it uh, and it's it's magical just to kind of see um, so you got the animals and you got the people the people there are, are from many many different tribes uh, many different types of tribes as well um, you've got the Niladic you've got the Bantu um, and you've got uh, the traditional people of that area like the Hadza Bay. Uh, and so I, I kind of split into two things. So you've got the people, which is, it's just always interesting to me. And, and I think for a lot of our travelers to spend time with the people and see how they live and interact with them and ask them questions and have them ask questions back. And so we always build that into all of our trips um, in a non-commercialized way. Like a lot of, a lot of companies will like set up, go to this like fake Masai village where they've got a bunch of like beadwork set out and they're basically there to do a, a song and dance, like literally, and then sell you beads and stuff. Um, and so we try to avoid that and actually like make connections with real families and, and go back there time and time again. And to see you have like a, an authentic experience and it's not something made up for the tourists. Um, and some people will spend some time with the Hadza tribe where uh, they're one of the last hunter gatherers of that region of africa eastern africa and it's really cool if you could spend a night maybe even two nights with them and go hunting with them in the morning and they make all of their the bows and arrows from hand or by hand and they'll get up up with the sunrise and they'll just run and try to catch something if they catch meat great if they don't they don't eat meat that day and they've lived this way for thousands maybe tens of thousands of years um and uh, very, very interesting. The people that have gone, it's, it's something we don't do with every trip. It's, it's a very special custom experience uh, that just a few people have, have done. And we don't really want to commercialize it for sure because there's only 500 to 1,000 of these people left on Earth. Um, but it's very, very interesting. Like that, is, that can be life-changing to see how we all used to live and we all used to survive. They don't have homes. They follow the game and they have like stick huts, so they live inside of trees. Um, they don't really have any possessions. 
Um, there's no leader in the group. And so this tribe has been used as a research focus for a lot of um, scientists and, and uh, ethnographers. And um, uh, they kind of study this tribe to see they're one of the last links to how we all used to live uh, pre-dawn of um, agriculture and cities and whatnot. And that's really cool uh, for me. Um, and, and anybody who like knows enough to request that uh, it's a really cool experience. Like the hunting and stuff by itself is cool, but then just to spend time sitting around the campfire with these people and you don't understand what they're saying. They're just going around, they speak in clicks, you know, you know like that, like it's very, very cool. Um, that, that I think could be life-changing the animals and stuff separately. Um, if you're into animals, obviously like, you do a safari like it's just it's a thing um as a fellow animal lover to see them in their natural habitat um you know it's a, in kenya more in kenya and like south africa there's reserves where like they like stock the animals and they're fenced in you don't see the fences generally like they're giant areas um but it's not natural like they are animals that generally would like live in that area and everything but they're managed and um but in, in East Africa, particularly like Tanzania, Serengeti, and Gorongoro Crater, like these are all giant national parks, um, the size of like Delaware and stuff like that. And we've, Tanzania has multiple uh, parks like that. And you, the animals are just left to do the thing. There are no fences. And so you're seeing kind of what, uh, even like North America, what things used to be like, like with the untouched nature and, you know, relatively untouched uh, and, just thousands of animals everywhere. Like North America used to be like that. There used to be millions of Buffalo roaming around the West, you know, and we've lost all that, you know, it's just kind of cool to, uh, for both the, the human interaction side and the animal interaction side to see where we came from and, um, just marvel at it. And, you know, it's a little bit sad that we don't have that in many places. I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of efforts to repopulate. Um, they've got, you know, bison repopulation um, in the UK now, um, and then in Canada. And, you know, we're realizing that we lost an important part of our ecosystem and, and trying to replace that. But this is, this is one of those few places on earth that you can experience something like that. Let's take a brief pause. We'll be right back. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago, and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever zero to travel community trip 
Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me, Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. I know you run the trips in Tanzania, but what are the best places for a wildlife safari in Africa? If you could share, um, like somebody listening to this, we're like, all right, we're going to plan a safari. Let's start with where are we going to go? How long should we go for? When's the best time to go? All that sort of 101 stuff let's see i would say obviously i'm biased towards tanzania because i got a company there and everything but i've been through um almost all of northern africa eastern africa southern africa uh i've been to these other safari destinations um tanzania is a little bit more expensive because their park fees are higher uh and they use that money a large part of it to put back into the ecosystem to for anti-poaching campaigns to teach local communities about the value of tourism um, and and uh, to just kind of protect what they have. Uh, but we do trips um, in Tanzania. We also do uh, trips that incorporate both Kenya and Tanzania as well. Um, you know, we do Kilimanjaro hiking in Tanzania. Um, Zanzibar beach holidays, about half of our guests go to Zanzibar afterwards, spend a few days there to relax and, before they head home. Um, but uh, also we've got the chimpanzees. Uh, Jane Goodall's chimpanzee families uh, are in Tanzania, something I didn't even know until a few years after I started the company. Um, yeah, they live uh, in the west of the country, and that's really cool. I just did that uh, last year, uh, just you know, eight months ago or so, and wow, that was amazing. I was just telling some people about that yesterday. It was just uh, super, super cool uh, to hang out with the chimpanzees. Um, another kind of just link to our past, obviously distant past, uh, but just to see them, just to see how how uh, human they are in many ways. Um, and so Tanzania has like all this. I'm going to start with Tanzania. I'm going to move on, though, but as a lot of a lot of different things that you can't find any other place uh, like Kilimanjaro, like Ngorongoro Crater, the world's largest unflooded volcano caldera, 12 by 12 miles. It's filled with animal wildlife, like yeah, animals, and you can go down in there, and you know, there's there's just animals everywhere. Um, and the Serengeti. Uh, which is uh, incorporates uh, like 90% of um, the area where the great wildebeest migration happens, where there's millions of, of wildebeest um, going around in a circle, basically around the Serengeti and up past the Mara River into Kenya. Um, and they're in Kenya about two months out of the year. The rest of the time they're in Tanzania. Uh, and so you know, you've got the great wildebeest migration, you've got the Serengeti, you've got Ngorongoro Crater, you've got Kilimanjaro, uh, you've got the coast as well. And then you've got all of the parks in the south of uh, Tanzania, like uh, Selu, now called Nyerere Park or Raha Park, which are even bigger than the Serengeti um, and much less touristed. Um, and so those are kind of hidden gems that uh, we recommend for people coming back, like for their second or third time. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of different stuff there. Um, some, something that uh, Tanzania doesn't have are gorillas. A lot of people want to go gorilla trekking, and those are found um, primarily in Uganda, Rwanda, um, a little bit in Burundi. Uh, and DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo. DRC uh, can be a little bit sketch at times. It, it, it goes through a lot of uh, political and social uprisings. 
not the easiest place to do trekking necessarily, uh, but it's the cheapest. <laughs> um, Rwanda's the most expensive, uh, $1,500 per person per day. You get one hour with the gorillas. Um, very expensive, but they do a great job. And, and um, it looks like their gorilla families are uh, repopulating and, and they're doing a great job of management. Uh, and then you've got Uganda, which is a little bit cheaper. It's uh, 600, 650 per person per day. Uh, again, you have one hour. So you, you hike into the gorillas. You have to get to the park, which is uh, Windy uh, National Park. Uh, Windy Impenetrable Forest is what they call it. Um, and uh, that's where the, a lot of the gorillas live. And you hike in, and it could take 30 minutes. It could take three hours until you find the gorilla family. Right when you see them, clock starts ticking. Got one hour. Hang around with the gorillas. Take photos. Um, and then you hike out again. Um, so that's, that's a cool thing to do. A lot of people do it. Sometimes people do it in the same trip if they've got the time and money. Uh, we just had a, a group do that after they did Tanzania. And it's a, it's a short flight away to any of those countries. They're all basically bordering Tanzania or bordering Lake uh, Victoria, uh, which borders Tanzania. So that's a, that's a cool experience as well. And then you've got uh, Southern Africa. So you've got Kenya also, which is very similar to, to Tanzania. It's, it's a lot of the same cultures. Uh, the Maasai people live, live there as well. A lot of shared history. It used to be part of British East, uh, East Africa. Um, and so uh, it's a little bit more, um, a little bit more cosmopolitan, a little bit more developed. Like they've got a nice tech set, uh, tech sector in Nairobi. Um, you've got again a big coastline uh, with Mombasa on the coast and and you know beach holiday type stuff. A um, little bit less parks, but they've got uh, they've got Mount uh, Mount uh, Kenya, which is a, a large mountain, not quite as big as Kilimanjaro, but uh, a lot of people like to climb that, and there's a lot of of wildlife, but very much similar to Tanzania, I would say. A um, few more tourists because, like I said, it is a little bit less expensive, um, and a little bit, little bit more of a risk of of uh, issues just from from like uh, Al Shabaab and you know boarding Somalia. They've had a lot of issues. Not generally not where tourists go. Uh, I should preface that uh, it's generally closer to the border with Somalia. But you know things happen around there. There's there's definitely that uh, that issue um, you know for the past ten plus years, uh, where luckily it's a little bit less of an issue in Tanzania. And then uh, you've got. Uh, Botswana, the Okavango Delta, which is really cool. A lot of elephants down there. Uh, a lot of more of like a wetlands and whatnot, uh, where you see a little bit different animals. And um, you also have that in, in Zambia and Zimbabwe, where you also have Victoria Falls, which is really cool to see. You know, highest waterfalls, and um, you've got Devil's Pool, where you can jump in right next to the waterfall, which is really cool uh, during certain times of the year. Um, tons of uh, wildlife, tons of elephants in uh, Huangue National Park in Zimbabwe, just over the border from Zambia. Um, and then you've got South Africa, of course, which has uh, safari parks all over and a lot of reserves. Like I said, the the uh, private game reserves, some which allow hunting, some which don't. Um, and they're, they're kind of managed to a certain extent, but they're giant areas where you can still go in and see animals. They're not necessarily 100% what I would call natural um just because there is a little bit of management involved and there are fences a lot of times but um still a cool experience like you know if you're going to south africa definitely check that out and south africa also has a bunch of other cool stuff to do the the wine route in the south uh, west and you've got great white shark cave dive or cage diving um yeah uh, and and cape town beautiful beautiful spot 
So Africa has a, has a lot to offer. Uh, you know, there's, there's even more beyond that. Um, but uh, yeah, those are those are the main things kind of like I, I think about when I think of safaris. Namibia also, um, you know, a little bit less safari focused, a little bit more adventure tourism focused, like rent, go there, rent a car, drive around. Um, but they also have safari, they've got um, animals there too, uh, cheetahs and um, a lot of types of antelope and whatnot. <laughs> I'm waiting for the mic drop on those recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, I've been all like, over Africa. There you there's, go. There's... I mean, that's a crazy <laughs> great breakdown on all of the different regions and the things that you can see. I'm wondering if you can just help us distill some of that down into like, yeah, if, if someone's planning a trip for the first time, obviously they could go with your company and that's a there's a lot of perks there as we discussed, but if you're talking to somebody and they're kind of planning their own thing and they want to have, have it to be affordable, but quality, what's the process? Like first, I guess you got to pick an area you want to go to. And I know this is a huge question that you can't really have one catch all perfect answer, but I guess I'm just kind of wondering where should somebody start with all of this information? Yeah. Um, so, so safari is like, you know, have a kind of a reputation for being expensive. It's one of those things where that we tried to, um, combat as far as like you know our marketing as far as you don't have to be retired and save up 10 20 grand a person to do a safari that's you kind can of, do that, that that's like the common perception sometimes i feel yeah yeah, yeah. Like, and you can do that you could tell totally, you and we have people that ask for that you know they're like you know we want like really nice accommodation four seasons yeah. and you we can, can always do that and <laughs> ridiculous yeah and, and like that's that's cool like the, the the kind of hidden secret about safari companies the the upper end ones there are a lot of um there are a lot of budget ones um and i'll get into that in a second but the higher end safari companies, which I, I will include our own. Um, the big difference is that a lot of them have guides with a lot of experience that are really good. Um, most of them will use very good vehicles. Uh, make sure you don't have any breakdowns along the way that they're comfortable because you spend a lot of time in that vehicle every day. Um, the big difference is accommodation. Yeah. So we obviously make sure that we try to get even better guides than the rest of those companies. Um, and, and we have even better vehicles, you know, um, but the accommodation is really like, we start off at, um, three, generally four stars. And that's, that's good enough for, for most people. Like they, I would say more often than not, people are surprised at the level of accommodation they get when they go over there. And they're like, wow, this is like a lot better than we thought we were going to get, you know, for this price point. Um, so I would say I would start with, uh, the country you're going to. So like, where do you want to go? I would say most people, when they do a safari for the first time, they're either going to South Africa or they're going to Kenya or Tanzania. Um, so that's the first thing. Like I said, Tanzania is a little bit more expensive because of park fees, but there's a lot of stuff in Tanzania you can't see anywhere else. Like if you're only to do one safari in your life, I, again, I'm, bi- I'm biased, but I would say Tanzania just because of the wealth of different experiences it offers. If you're just, if you could only stick to one country, right? Um, Secondly, I get some requests about uh, camping safaris. So a lot of the the cost of a safari is the accommodation, especially when you're staying in an accommodation in a park, which you have to do basically in, in Serengeti for the most part. Uh, you have to pay extra fees. So you have to pay the, the park fee and you have to pay the accommodation fee. And then you have to pay another fee per night per person to stay at a lodge within the park. So it's like fees on top of fees on top of fees. And um, people don't necessarily like know that going in. Um, so just be aware that that's like a thing. And um, 
you know, a lot of people may be looking to do it on the cheap, but just be aware that you don't, you know, you're paying for what you get. You get what you pay for, right? So if you're selling go it for the company, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, you like I'm I'm saying yeah, I'd love it if you came with us, but regardless, do your research and um you know, look at the reviews online. And if you're if something's like a lot less expensive than something else, there's a reason for it. You're either getting a crappy car or a guide without much experience, or you know, like you're still gonna see the animals. It's just not gonna be you know, the best, it's not going to be the best it could be. Um, you know, you, you may still have a great time. Um, could it be better? Yeah. Some people will be happy with that and they'll be happy to save a little bit of money. Um, but like for, as an example, when I first climbed Kilimanjaro, I booked with a company that was one of the cheaper ones. And, um, I went up there and I made it up and down and then, you know, like we had some growls, like we're like, my friend and I were like, oh, like this is kind of weird and whatnot. It wasn't until I started running my own safari or my Kilimanjaro tours that I realized how crappy that experience was. Like the guide, it was one one guide and then it was the two of us. And then we had like um, a few porters and a chef. And the quality of food that we got, the quality of guiding that we got was crap. Absolute crap. I can tell you this, like looking back, I'm like, wow, like no wonder we paid a few hundred bucks less a person because like they weren't paying their guides much. I guarantee you like, they weren't paying the guides very much and they weren't feeding them much. Another way that they save money. Like you, you learn about the, all this stuff going into the, the industry that you would never know as someone on the ground. You don't know that they would only feed their porters like once a day with like this gruel, you know, whereas like we feed them like three times a day, like stuff like that, that you, you'll, That's what you'll never find hard. out. Like, how do you know? How can you know? You, those you, you won't, you won't know. Like nobody knows this until you, you go in and you just see what happens, um, you know, from the inside out. Uh, and so it's, yeah, just, just know that if you're paying less, significantly less, it's coming from somewhere. It's either going to affect you or the staff or both. Well, those things um, you can read about, sorry to interrupt, but I'm just mm. curious because there's, there's two, um, approaches to this. I feel, I mean, I remember doing the whole Machu Picchu thing and this was a long time ago, but it was like, if you, if you pre-booked it, it would cost like thousands of dollars. But at that time when I showed up and like walked around town and found like a reputable place and at that time you could do that there and, and, and book with them, it, it costs like a few hundred compared to a few thousand. Like, I don't remember the exact cost, but it was like a huge difference. Right. So there's like those two approaches. You can like pre-book something before you leave. And then I feel like in some cases, I'm not saying in, in your case, cause we already heard about your company and, and how much money you guys put into marketing, which is zero. But like, you know, some of these bigger companies, I mean, they have to lot, have a lot of marketing dollars behind promoting these trips. So then. And they subcontract. Yeah. And, and they, they subcontract, they subcontract so, to those people that you found the big companies that are like, um, American owned or, or foreign owned, they generally don't have their own staff on the ground. They subcontract right. through those people that you found selling tours for a few hundred dollars. So should people show up and just find a place if they want to do it like that? Is that a thing or is that's it that's you know, tough? <laughs> that's tough. I, I can, I can only speak for Tanzania. Um, sometimes we have people doing that where they show up. It's generally the people like slow traveling, have a lot of time. Right. Um, most people like they're going to fly in and they're going to fly back. They don't have like a bunch of time on the ground to just like sort through different options and whatnot. Like they want to know what they're getting before they go. Cause they don't have all yeah. the vacation time. It's more of a time um, thing, but it is possible if you yeah. have time to kind of, it, it, it's possible. It's very infrequent. 
Um, very rare. Uh, I can say like with us, we're able to keep one reason we're able to keep our costs down besides uh, saving on, on marketing and advertising is that we are locally owned. You know, like, yes, I am a partner in it, but like we are based there. Um, my partner is Tanzanian. He's a Maasai guy. He's been doing this for over 20 years. And so like we are not subcontracting through anyone. Whereas the company I'm on right now on this trip, the same company I went on to Tanzania for the first time, they subcontract through another company that's a local company in Tanzania. And they have them wear their own shirts and have their logo put on the side of the vehicle. And they're like, oh yeah, these are our people. But they're not, they're all subcontractors. So every subcontract layer, you add more money to it. Everyone's got to make their profit, right? So you could go direct to the source. If you could find, I mean, I would recommend this for any place in the world. If you could find uh, a company that is locally owned and run, um, you're going to pay generally less because you've got one less layer of bureaucracy to go through. And how can you know? I mean, uh, some of the things, I, I, it's hard to know, of course, but I think some of the things you're bringing up are really important. Like you said, this this kind of spans the tourism sort of, pa- let's call it package tours industry, right? Like if you're able to suss out who's local and who has the least amount of maybe middlemen, <laughs> Right. Or like subcontractors, like you said. And then some of the ethical things you brought up, because I was going to ask you about choosing an ethical company, right? Like if they're, if I imagine some of these companies are forward with like how they treat their guides and, and things like that. If you're not seeing any of that stuff and it's a lot more inexpensive, you're saying, again, it's, again, it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to kind of process and research, but you can identify some red flags in some ways. Mm-hmm. Is that is that what you're saying? Like, yeah, I mean, but a lot of times you can't. Like you said, um, people. Yeah. A lot of people will not do the research. Even people that do do the research, they're not going to be able to find their answers, uh, or, or companies won't be forthcoming. Um, but they so, have to answer you honestly, right? Like, if you call this company you're with, and you're like, "Hey, do you guys use subcontractors in Africa?" Like, they should. Generally, I, I would say for for the subcontracting. Uh, question that's a little bit easier to find out i think you could go on on these websites and see their their backstory and it'll show do they have an address in tanzania um you know where they started the, the most page uh websites will have like an about page like when was it started who was it started by you know we try to have the best of both worlds with pomoja safaris because not only are we a local company not subcontracted uh, you know half owned by a local guy but also we're incorporated in the u.s so we give that peace of mind. Uh, we accept credit cards. You know, some companies based over there, they can't, most companies don't accept credit cards because that the credit card processing is still not a thing over there for, for tour companies. Like PayPal doesn't operate over there. Um, um, TransferWise and stuff is, is like difficult. Like you, you can't really do that. Um, and so we try to offer that peace of mind. We're like, we're a locally registered company in the U.S. We have a presence. We have a phone number. We have an office over in the U.S. We take credit cards, um, you know, so just in case like we we're somebody thought, oh, they could be a scam company. And I don't want to wire money over there because I have no recourse. I can't get that money back. But at least with a credit card or PayPal or whatever, you have that option to file a dispute if something was ever uh, wrong and you need to get your money back. Um, it gives a little bit it of adds peace a layer of mind. Of protection. Yeah, yeah. And and I found that a lot of people, um, again, we deal with like a lot of Americans, but also people from around the world, like they appreciate uh, having that peace of mind and also even being able to use credit cards because not everyone has the cash right right up front. Um, they'd rather put on the card and pay it off over time. And so that's a, another kind of good thing. 
I was going to ask you about travel insurance for a safari. And I mean, I think you just get general travel insurance. If there's anything, I guess I'm just wondering with safari specifically, if there are any special concerns for like maybe families that are taking kids or individuals with travel insurance things or any, anything like that, like anything that makes it different than the regular travel experience that we should know. Not, not really. Um, all of our trips are super safe that we get that a lot from uh, families, especially asking if it's safe uh, for children um, we've never had any incidents, uh, even on Kilimanjaro, uh, of anybody getting hurt or attacked or anything. I, I've had a few people say like, I'm afraid to go cause I don't want to get attacked by a lion. Like that never, ever, ever happens. Um, and it's, it's super safe. I, I always recommend, uh, going to a developing country that you get travel insurance. Like we're drinking bottled water the whole time and you wash your uh, toothbrush with bottled water. And, um, all of our chefs are trained in how to, uh, pr- properly prepare meals and they wash their salads in mineral water and stuff like that. So we're, we're very used to making sure everyone has a good time and uh, prevalence of uh, stomach issues and stuff is kept at a bare minimum. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I would always recommend having travel insurance just because it, it costs so little, like to get basic travel insurance, like you're talking like $20, $30 per person for your whole time there. Um it's a little bit different for Kilimanjaro. Uh, so for, for travel insurance, for safari, generally any travel insurance will, will work. Uh, for Kilimanjaro, not only do you have to have what's usually called like an adventure rider, um, you know, for like adventure sports or, or activities, you have to actually have a, uh, a special one on top of that that allows for climbing a mountain over a certain elevation. Generally, it's like 14, 15,000 feet, uh, 5,000 5, meters. Um, uh you need to have uh, a special kind of uh, uh, thing in the insurance. There's only a few insurance companies allow for where you're able to climb up that high and it'll still protect you. So that's something to consider for Kilimanjaro. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So you just, you know, but gen- if you're not doing Kilimanjaro, generally any other, any other uh, travel insurance is going to work. Okay. We've covered a lot of ground here. I guess I should just, <laughs> if we can summarize sort of like, again, I think everybody understands the perspective you're coming from in terms of like places to go and things like that. Obviously it costs money to go on safari. So for the question of how to plan an affordable safari and kind of answering that in a few, uh, like just your kind of your best advice on that. And may- maybe this includes some budget ranges. Like, Hey, if you want crappy guides and this, you're probably going to pay this if you want. So like you know. we, we charge, um, on average, it, of course it depends on the group size. It depends on time of year. Um, but like we always tell people just off the top of my head, when someone says, okay, how much does it cost per day? We say all inclusive ground costs, airport pickup to drop off besides alcohol, uh, plan for 500 bucks per person per day all-inclusive. Um, and is that like could, sort of moderate pricing for safari? Yeah, you, you, you will be comfortable the entire way. We've got nice, like I said, almost like four-star accommodation. Even in the Serengeti, you've got like a full-size bed, flush toilets, warm water showers. Like you're not roughing it at all. But if you want to go above that, like we've got, uh, you know, four seasons and you know, places with pools in the middle of the Serengeti and, uh, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so like that's a general, like it's a good baseline. But I would say, um, you know, and this is for Tanzania again, like the pricing is a little bit different. Other places, uh, Kenya, South Africa could be cheaper, uh, but also research your company that you're going with, uh, try to get one that's not 
subcontracting, you know, it's based there, at least whole or wholly or partially owned by a local. Um, and, uh, yeah, besides that, I would have say, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, have fun. I, uh, I would say number of days, uh, for, for Tanzania to do the general, we call it like the Northern circuit where you fly in and out to Arusha, which is the main departure for safaris and Kilimanjaro treks in Northern, uh, Tanzania. Um, a lot of people just do like an eight day trip. So you got arrival day, six days of safari and then a departure day. And that'll just be, you know, they'll fly out on a Friday, they'll get there on Saturday and then they'll leave the next Saturday or Sunday and arrive the same day, like either Saturday or Sunday. So that way they're only able to, they're only, they only have to take five vacation days, Monday through Friday. A lot of people really like that if they're still working, um, and they don't have flexible work or they're not retired, uh, that's that's like a, a good way to hit up a lot of the stuff and not feel too rushed. Uh, but if you have a few more days, like makes even you know even better if you can spend ten or twelve or you know if you're spending twelve or fourteen, you can hit up uh, Kenya as well. You can go to like uh, Masai Mara Park and you can maybe even hit up the Giraffe Manor, the the thing you see in a bunch of social media where the giraffes like come in your window and like eat breakfast with you. Like <laughs> super popular, by the way. If you want to ever do that, book it well in advance, like over six eight months in advance. <laughs> okay. Oh, one, one other thing, camping. Some people, I, I was about to say this earlier, camping safaris. A lot of people ask about like budget camping safaris. We don't do that uh, at all because um, even though it is less money, it's not like a lot less money than just getting a, a less expensive um, tented camp in the Serengeti. And so, because uh, you're still paying the camping fee, you're still paying for someone to set up your camp every night. You're still paying for um, the cook to be there to make your meals. The thing is, you have to be in the campsite. It's a it's a rustic campsite where you set up a tent and everything. You still have to be there before uh, dusk every day. So um, because of that, it cuts short your your day sightseeing, uh, animal uh, you know animal seeing, and so you're able you're not able to see as much. Um, and the quality of food, of course, is nowhere near as good. The accommodation, being in a tent with some sleeping bags, obviously not as good. And then also. You know, if you're going up to go to the bathroom at night, you have to go to the outhouse and there's animals around and stuff. And um, I only I only recommend that for the super, super budget traveler. If there's no other way to do this and you're like really watching every hundred dollars, um, then then, yeah, like otherwise I would really, really recommend, especially if this is like a bucket list thing and you're only going to do it once, uh, you know, to just spend a little bit more money and, and get even an expensive uh, tented lodge in the park. Amazing advice. Uh, I had not thought of any of that. And these are the things that you don't know if you've never been before, you know? So it's just so great to have you here sharing this. The one question we need to ask is the best time of year to go. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's important. So uh, for Tanzania, Kenya too, uh, there's a monsoon season and, and a non-monsoon season. So uh, mid-March through mid-May is rainy. Um, so people still come. Prices are lower. But uh, you know, it's not going to necessarily rain all day, but definitely a lot more rain than usual. Um, and then the rest of the year is, is fine. Uh, the rest of the year, you can come anytime. There's a, what they call like a little rainy season in November, but like we're talking like an hour or two of rain a day. Uh, again, prices are lower, but nowhere near the rain that you have in March or April. So I always recommend November if you want less people and a little bit lower, lower prices, uh, November 1st through December 15th. So before the holidays begin. And, um, other than that, uh, you know, the summertime is, is a little bit busier, a little bit higher prices because you've got kids off from school and families visiting, um, you know, off from school in the northern hemisphere, at least. Um, and then uh, you've got February where the wildebeest give birth uh, together. And so 
they're able, you're able to go there and see all these baby, baby wildebeest and it attracts the predators. And so a lot of animals are kind of all together in the center or the south of the Serengeti. And that makes for, for a pretty cool experience. But um, no matter when you come, it'll be awesome. You're going to see a lot of animals. You don't need like binoculars. We've got binoculars for you to use, but like you don't need them because there's animals everywhere and they're close. And um, it's really cool experience. I've been on safaris or like quote unquote safaris like all over the world. Um, outside of Africa as well. And, you know, it's like, you're like, oh, look at that thing. Like, oh, you just spiffed it. Or like, oh, you look at the binoculars. You can kind of see it. Can you make it out? You know, it's nothing like that. Some people come over and they're like, oh yeah, like maybe we'll like catch a glimpse of this or a glimpse of this. Like, no, like it's the point where, you know, a few days in you're like, oh, like we can just skip like the elephants and the, and the lions. You've seen enough of those. Like, let's like hold out for some leopards or something, <laughs> you know? So you, you will not like, no matter when you come, you will not, um, be like wishing there are more animals or there won't be like a lack of animals no matter when you come, even in rainy season. Yeah. Thanks for all that, Scott. And I think uh, it was nice that you broke it down in terms of cost per day too. That's super helpful and being able to break it down in a way where people could actually take like a Monday through Friday and, and do it. And obviously you can extend many days, but then if you're paying per day, you have to consider all of those costs. So yeah. Um, and if you, you could do it less than eight days too. Some people don't even have, you know, that much time, um, and, and we can work with you on that, uh, but we have to cut things out. We have to cut things out and, or do things quicker and, and may just be a little bit less of a, a leisurely experience, you know, right. um, to make it worthwhile. But, it's kind of like eight yeah. days a minimum. Yeah. yeah. I, that's just, that's like our average trip is, is eight days and we can do it less. Uh, we'll work with you, but, um, I just, yeah, I recommend that as like a starting point. Cool. You want to give everybody the, the links so people can yeah, sure. find you? Uh, yeah, so we're just at Pomoja Safaris on, on all the um, all the social media. So uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, P-A-M-O-J-A. So that's uh, Pomoja. It means together. And uh, PomojaSafaris.com. So P-A-M-O-J-A. Safaris.com is the website. And that's how you can uh, get in touch with us. Um, and if you, uh, mention that you heard it here, just let me know and, uh, we'll give you a little, little special discount on your trip. Well, I mean, you know, should we, uh, everybody's listening now, uh, maybe, maybe in the future we do a zero to travel podcast hey, we're, community. We're, I'm, I'm I, I'd be down. I'd be down. You know, I'm already doing it. I already doing it for some other people. So, uh, I mean, I'd be down you know, to I- that's going to be up to you guys. If you want to send me a message and let me know if I get enough messages, then we can start talking to Scott about doing something like this together. Yeah, that'd be cool. Even you get, get like a little, little group together, uh, 12 people or 18 people or something like that. Yeah. We could work with anything. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's always fun to kind of, uh, get to meet people in in person and have an adventure. Um, always fun times. Well, I'm just throwing that out there because this sounds like a lot of fun. And <laughs> it's I, a good idea. I, I like it. With everybody. So uh, if that's something you're interested in, then you could just send me an email and let me know. And if we get enough interest, I can further that conversation with Scott and we can see what happens. Uh, I wanted to ask you just like one or two more things before I let you go. Um, do you have something like you wish people told you when you started out? It could be related to travel or entrepreneurship or anything like that that we discussed today. I'm trying to think of something that's not so trite, <laughs> you know, like, like do what makes you happy or follow your dreams. Um, no, I'd say, uh, don't, don't be, well, I know again, don't be afraid to take risks. That sounds kind of trite too. Uh, but, uh, I don't know, I guess everyone, everyone has different, uh, challenges, uh, you know, going into, uh, 
trying new things or, or following their dreams or whatnot. And don't be afraid to to take that step. And also don't be afraid to to admit that like this isn't working for you after you gave it a, a good shot um, and pivot and do something else uh, because there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. We didn't even get into like the Mongol rally and some of the other <laughs> or, or Japan like, or Japan. Yeah. We're going to have to do this we again. Can always do, always do part two. Yes. We're going to have to. A lot of stories from that. <laughs> I wanted to kind of acknowledge something I saw on your about page and I'll just read it. It said the goal to create successful businesses, to have a meaningful, happy life and to create lasting positive change in the world through whatever opportunities and resources I'm presented with is something that you wrote on your webpage. And I mean, you can tell me how you feel, but I feel like you're, you're living that truth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always, I always try to, um, cause uh, those things make me happy. Um, and also, you know, just to go beyond myself to also, uh, like I said, in, in that sentence, uh, to give back whenever possible, uh, like I said, you know, maybe in part two, I'll mention those, those charity endeavors those like long distance rally adventures that I had, um, uh, my, my time with, uh, Rotary International, uh, now coming up on 15 years being a member of that. And, um, yeah, just, uh, all the, the different opportunities I've had to, to help out. I'm also part of a, a clean water education, uh, charity where I'm on the board of, uh, where you teach people how to create long lasting, um, community led, water and sanitation projects in, in developing countries, stuff like that. Yeah. I didn't, we didn't even get into any of that, but you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately, uh, unlike some of the podcasts, we, you know, we can't be a Joe, pull a Joe Rogan four hour podcast this time around, but we can, <laughs> we can definitely do a part two next time. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I mean, I know you're on a trip with your dad now, so we, we're going to respect your time and let you go. I really appreciate all of the just wonderful information you gave us today and shared and appreciate that. I, I get to know you and have you in uh, my friend circle, which is super cool. I feel super lucky. So I just hope we can continue to stay in touch and glad we finally got to have you on here to do this. Thanks for your time. Yeah, good times, man. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. And um, we'll definitely, we'll do a part two. And we also got to, uh, got to do the, uh, that trip that uh, the group safari trip, zero to travel trip. (laughs) Let us know. Take care. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much to Scott Brills, a lovely human being. Like I said, I've had the pleasure of meeting him a couple times in person and the dude's the real deal. I mean, he just, he cares. He, he lives the life and I just am lucky to uh, have him as a part of my circle here. So uh, I want to thank him for stopping by sharing his wisdom so transparently and uh, giving us some good food for thought when it comes to African safaris. How do you feel coming out of this show? Are you getting excited to go on a safari? Maybe your first one or your next one. Have you had safari experiences? Do you have advice to share? Do you have anything else that you'd like to share? You can always hit me up. Jason at zerototravel.com is my email. Drop me a line or you can leave me a voicemail really easily by just clicking the link in each and every show notes. It's always a pleasure to hear from listeners and make this a two-way conversation. In fact, I just got a guest recommendation from a listener, Donna in Australia. So I wanted to just say thanks to her for that. It is super helpful to find some new guests uh, that you want to have on. This is a community-powered show. I do this show each and every week for the last eight years for you. So whatever communication or feedback you can give me, that allows me to keep making the show that you want to hear. So please don't be shy 
and get in touch. I'm excited to be meeting a listener actually this week downtown in Oslo. We might even record a podcast about that. We'll have to see. So a lot of uh, exciting things happening. I hope you had a wonderful summer at the time of this recording. We're finishing up the summer and getting ready for the fall season. Not sure where your travels or your life is taking you, but I have a nice quote to leave you with here that is a, a good reminder for all of us to to just live by. Let's just try to live by this today. Before I get into that, I talked about my bonus Big Five experience. Now, the Big Five is the catchphrase used for the Big Five animals in Africa. When you go on safari in Africa, people talk about seeing the Big Five, and the Big Five are referring to the African elephant, the lion, the leopard, the Cape buffalo, and rhinoceros, all incredible animals to see. And you know where you can see them? At the zoo. (laughs) I told you it was a simple hack. I told you you've probably done it before. But check out a different zoo somewhere. If you haven't been to the zoo for a while, go back to your local zoo. I have had the interesting fortune of seeing a lot of zoos (laughs) in America when I was traveling around doing one promotional tour. I used to work in the event industry. We did an event at different zoos. So I flew to different zoos all over the States. And so I got to see a lot of zoos. And recently on my trip to the States, I went to the Naples Zoo in Florida. That was one of the best zoos I've ever been to. Shout out to the Naples Zoo. And uh, I call this experience a bonus Big Five because it wasn't with one of the Big Five animals, but it was with a giraffe. And there's a part of the zoo where you can look at the giraffes and you can feed them pieces of lettuce and you give them some money and they give you a little thing of lettuce and then you can hold it out and the giraffe comes over and it sticks out its giant tongue and takes the lettuce right out of your hand and you're looking into its beautiful eyes. You know, giraffes have those gorgeous eyelashes. They're just, they've got these peaceful looking kind eyes with the big eyelashes and those long tongues. And it was so cool to be that close to a giraffe. And yeah, we had a great trip back to the States and did a lot of different things, but The giraffe experience (laughs) sticks with me. I really enjoyed being that close face-to-face with a giraffe. And I was holding my kids up, so they were the ones that actually fed the giraffe. But I was right there with them, and it was, uh, you know, kind of held it with them and and helped them. And zoos are great places. I mean, just seeing these animals anywhere, even if you aren't in the position to go on safari right now, uh, just to go to a zoo and just be present with some of these animals. I went to another zoo recently when I got back to Norway at the Dyrdeparken, it's called. And I have a guest coming up recently who's a friend of mine. And it's funny because she mentioned taking a day for herself and just going to the zoo by herself and how nice it was. So maybe that's today's challenge. It's an easy one. Go to the zoo and have some fun. There you go. Now, here's this quote, nice reminder to leave you with today. This is from Kamal Ravikant, who said, The most transformative experience has been the simple act of loving myself. When we think about transformative travel experiences like safaris and some of the things that we've experienced ourselves in our own lives through travel or otherwise, and I thought this was a nice reminder that... The most transformative experience has been the simple act of loving myself. That quote by Kamal Ravikant. So you can take that one to heart today if you'd like. And give yourself some love. 
today. Smile. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And I'll see you next time. Cheers. Peace and love. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 